If you've experienced a DNA surprise, you know that your emotions can range from shock to denial to grief to anger to confusion to joy and around again. And sometimes it's hard to find people who understand this unique experience. Sometimes we feel a little stuck as we navigate this journey. That's why we created the DNA Surprise Retreat. At the DNA Surprise Retreat, you'll enjoy six expert-led sessions to help you process your DNA surprise. You'll eat delicious catered meals, and most importantly, you'll build beautiful friendships with people who understand you, all in a stunning private ranch facility in the Arizona desert. If you've had shocking DNA test results, know that you're not alone. This retreat is for you. Join us September 19th through the 22nd, 2024 in Phoenix, Arizona. Registration is open now. Reserve your space at dnasurpriseretreat.com. I'll see you there. I'm like shaking and I had this physical reaction as well as this very emotional reaction because in that moment, I just thought this is something that I knew could happen. Um, I didn't think it would happen like this. I don't know how I thought it could happen or that it could feel better if I heard it in a different way. I just think when I saw the timeline of things, that's what really was weird to me because I had gone 39 years as an only child holding family secrets, which transformed me into this person who advocates <laughs> to never tell or hold family secrets, to live in a world without shame. And this bomb just dropped on me again. Imagine spitting into a tube, sending off your DNA, and unknowingly turning your life upside down. For me and thousands of others, this is our reality. I'm your host, Alexis Auerselt. In July of 2021, I discovered that I am an NPE, someone who has experienced a non-paternal event. In other words, my biological father isn't who I thought he was. This podcast shares the journeys of people who were shocked by a DNA discovery, mostly through modern DNA testing. We're telling the stories of NPEs, adoptees, and donor-conceived people and their families. This is DNA Surprises. NPEs, DCPs, and adoptees aren't the only people who experience DNA surprises. Found family has them too. This week, Dory shares her surprise at being contacted by a sibling she never knew existed. Dory also shares her experience growing up with family secrets, especially her life being raised by a lesbian couple. I'm excited to release this episode during Pride Month because it demonstrates how far we've come in destigmatizing LGBTQI families. I look forward to the day when we see families for what they are families, each with as much nuance as anyone else's. Thank you, Dory, for sharing your story. So, my name is Dory. I'm 41 years old and I'm from New Jersey. So, I actually come from a family of family secrets, um, one that had more to do with just what it means to be in a complex family during a not so accepting time. My parents conceived me in a heterosexual, heteronormative marriage in you know the very early 80s. And my mom actually came out as gay when I was probably somewhere between the age of like eight and nine when my parents divorced, but she didn't actually come out to me until I was like 11, like sixth grade or something like that. Like a much harder time to deal <laughs> with stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and so my, my parents met in this very dramatic way like we joke now it was like the original 90 day fiance um <laughs> without cameras rolling because my mom was this nice jewish girl from new jersey 
who after graduating college in the 70s traveled to the UK and and Europe with one of her best girlfriends and met this guy in London outside of a theater to go see the premiere of the Beatles Yellow Submarine movie and he was this Irish Catholic from Dublin like from a family that was very poor and a lot of kids and you know he introduced himself and he had a friend with him who introduced himself to her friend and they were like you're going to see this so are we I mean it was just kind of this like whirlwind thing and they he said I I really liked hanging out with you I guess and let's if you're traveling let's continue to do that and so she did feel like she felt like she fell in love with him and and they fell in love and and they had this long distance kind of young you know she was probably they were probably 22 years old or something and it was just exciting and she was she I think she wanted to pursue this and she had to eventually go back to New Jersey but um my grandparents were like this is insane absolutely not which I think only fueled her being more determined to meet up with him and stuff but it was also the 70s it was not a time where it was easy so my grandmother um and I don't want to speak poorly of her I loved her she was wonderful to me but she would hide the letters that my dad would write to my mom and you know I think they were doing whatever they could to try to break this up because it, it felt shameful you know they were like how could you be with someone not Jewish from a foreign country what are her what are his intentions and my mom was just like well we're in love and that's that and so she ended up traveling back there and without her family's blessings married him in Ireland and <laughs> they had to like venture out of the city to find some priest or justice of the peace or anything that would actually marry a non-catholic uh, like a you know to him and so they got married the whole like she said the whole thing was done in gaelic so she didn't even know when they were actually married like she was like is that it do i say i do like it was very funny and um something like it's one of those stories you know and they got married and i think they lived over there for a while and she eventually was like we're gonna go back to the u.s I think the happiness lasted for a couple of years and and then they decided this isn't working out and they and they broke up. And so my dad did go back to mm -hmm. Ireland and because it was Ireland at the time I think it was very hard to get granted an actual divorce just based on the Catholic um, teachings and how the country ran and so they were going to just let it dissolve on its own because the laws were different if you were like legally separated or living apart for six or more years or something. My mom tried to explain this to me. You, you could just kind of let it dissolve. And, and during that time, I think my mom was secretly dating women and, and exploring that piece of her. Um, but again, it was a super different time. Everything was in, uh, in the closets and on the down low. And my parent, my grandparents certainly didn't know. And she had heard back from him, I think at like the five year mark or something like that before their marriage could just kind of go away and he said let's try to work this out i miss you whatever and she said okay i'll try it and i think her biological clock was ticking and she was like i want to have a baby and at the time in the 80s you know i know in this community we do talk a lot about donor conception and the cryobanks and all of that and she um she wouldn't even have been allowed to purchase sperm as a single woman or as an out single woman that it was they were only selling sperm i think until 1983 to um it was just for heterosexual couples infertile men so i i think for her you know some people would would judge her and be like so she basically was just going to be with this guy to like have a baby and it's like well first of all people do that all the time and second of all you know what were her options really um i think she thought she could do it she wanted to have a kid and so they got back together and had me he was is um an alcoholic and i think she and i both watched him turn from this wonderful loving outgoing person just into someone who was very you know angry when drunk not not who he was and he was obviously dealing with his own traumas but would not 
would not go into recovery, would not seek help. You know, they, they did decide to uh, divorce. And shortly after he moved out, she moved her um, best friend in. And so that was kind of where more of the secrets started to get held. And so I was raised um, by my mom and her partner, who we called her best friend, or sometimes it would be her god, my godmother. Sometimes it would be, oh, that's just the housekeeper. I was mm. told basically by my father when I was visiting him one night and he had been under the influence and um, he just started to like ask me like, why do you think we got divorced? Why do you think this? Why is she living with you? Like, and I started crying because it's like I knew, but I didn't have the language to describe what it means to have a gay parent. But I knew that if this was happening the way it was happening, if he was talking to me the way he was talking to me, this is something bad, you know, like this caused a divorce. Yeah. This caused my family to crumble. He, he wasn't talking to me in like a loving way. He was trying to tell me like, your mom is, is gay without saying those words or explaining it. And it wasn't his story to tell me either. Right. And so I called my mom from a visit and I was crying and I was like, I don't know what's happening. She came and picked me up and I think she was like freaking out at my dad but basically she and her partner right after that were like, okay, we need to kind of, we need to tell her. And, and so they did. And they explained like, do you know what gay is? Do you know what this is? And I was like, the feelings I had in my body, because this was before Ellen, this was like the nineties AIDS was at the height. I mean, of its crisis where people were dying. It was a gross thing to be gay. And yeah. I right away, was just like, no, this can't be happening to me. So I, I was like, okay, yeah. And, and they explained it like, yes, we are a couple. And you know, these other people that we hang out with, like they're gay too. And, and anyway, they, they said it. And then I think her partner said, but this isn't like the kind of information you want to share at school. And I said, no problem. Mm, so you were encouraged <laughs> to keep that secret. I was like, yeah. no problem. I get it. I feel like the, the shame in the air, it was so thick. And I internalized all of that as like coming into this family at all was like in this very shameful, weird way. And so I actually went off to college. It wasn't until I went a hundred miles away that I said out loud to somebody like my mom is gay. And it was like such a buildup and so dramatic so that my friend who I'm still friends with, who is on the receiving end of this information was like, and then what happened? And I was like, no, no, that's it. Like, I'm telling you, my mom is gay. Like, she's a lesbian. And and she was like, oh, that's okay. You know, like, it was, I think she was like, I thought something really bad. Like, she did something to you or you're, I don't know, you were like, I don't know. Just. But you'd been holding on to it for seven or eight I years unloaded. at that point, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I had my own kind of coming out about my family, regardless of how I identify with my own you know, sexuality, but I had to come out and it took through the college years and then going to graduate school. I am a social worker and I realized I want to break stigma when it comes to the LGBT community and the families that they're building and, and just redefine family as it is. So <laughs> for years, <laughs> I, you know, I graduated, I got my MSW in 2007, I've been a licensed clinical social worker for over 10 years now. I work, you know, I eventually worked into creating my own private practice. I've worked in the adoption world. I've worked um, now in infertility for, for probably four or five years and doing a lot of advocacy around the kids of the LGBTQ community, knowing their story and having them be recognized as the gay community tries to advocate to have marriage equality and create families in with equity. And, and so I've been in this world of like, you have to share your story. You have no family secrets. You know, I know what it's like to hold my parents' shame for inherent safety reasons. Right. And the only way that we can make it a safer world is to, is to be open. And here's how you do that. So I literally have a job two days a week at a fertility clinic, working with all kinds of intended parents and sperm and egg recipients about not just are you feeling emotionally ready to move forward with building your family in this way, but how do you plan on talking about this? 
with your child one day. Yeah. Um, though I'm not actually donor conceived, I I relate a lot to the children that are donor conceived or through adoption. And mm-hmm. so um, there's parallels just to a lot of this. So then I'm living my life. COVID happens. <laughs> um, my my private practice actually like takes off because everyone's struggling and mental health practitioners, it's like, that's the booming business now. And so I'm busy. I'm on zoom all day. I'm, you know, the first, like from March to June, I'm feeling it, I'm in it, you know, but I had a lot, it was a lot. I also have three young daughters, whatever their, their lives and their traumas and grief, you know, and schooling and um and then my husband who works in he had worked in event production at the time he was furloughed so there was just a lot of change and pressure going on and it was very hard to find space for myself and I think life is just gonna happen no matter what and I have learned that in times of crisis in particular, I think we're so forced to sit with these harder feelings and question a lot of things in, in your own life. And um, you, there was so much loss. There were so many people dying. You know, you just realize, like, what if? And there was one night in June 2020, we, we actually had had planned a trip just to be in nature for a few days. We were like, we're going to do Airbnb. It feels like a little safer to get out. And New York state was doing a great job of, you know, all the COVID restrictions. So we were like, this is a safe space. And so we decided to book a couple nights there and, you know, just go somewhere beautiful the night before the trip. And I always get like very anxious before I go on a trip. Like I just, I, you know, a little bit of a, control thing probably, but just packing and the kids and this and that and getting things on time. You know, I just was so anxious, but I was like, finally, okay, we're ready to go. Let me just check a couple things on my phone, you know, midnight doom scrolling, whatever. (laughs) So I'm like looking and I see, I have a message in my Facebook messenger and it's from somebody I, I am not friends with who I don't know. So I'm just like, huh, whatever. So I click on it and it, it was a woman, but it was actually um, a man writing through her Facebook page because he said, forgive me, I, uh, I'm not on social media. This is my wife's <laughs> Facebook, but I'm, I'm writing to you because I believe we share the same father and he named him. And, you know, I'm, I'm 43 years old. I live in, in Dublin and I, I actually, um, I learned he was my, I learned of him a couple of years ago, uh, when I turned 40 and I just felt like I wanted to, um, finally get to know who he was, just put like a, a face to the guy or whatever. And, uh, when I did that search for him and my mother named him, you know, that's when I met these two aunts and he named them and they were my aunts. Um, and they didn't know about me either. And, um, and they told me about you and that, you know, he has a daughter, her name is Dory and she lives in America. And so he actually knew about me for like two years, but it took him that long, I think to finally kind of get the guts. And he said his wife would be like, maybe now's the time you want to let her know. He said like, I'm private. Like I'm not on any social media or anything like that. He said, I gave you a Google and you were pretty easy to find. (laughs) I think because I have my clinical practice and I've written things and published things and whatever. So I'm on the internet, but for good reasons, you know, (laughs) so he, he found me right away, but it was, um, I guess that was his own process, but in the note to me in the Facebook message, he said, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to scare you or shock you. I just feel like life is short and you had the right to know this. And if it, if it were you, I would understand if you were to do the same thing and and try to find me. And I read this and I'm like, you've got to be like, what is it? You know, I couldn't, it was very shocking, but also not because I had spent years estranged from my father when I was 18 and his alcoholism and his own mental health issues caused me to just say like, no more. I am an adult now. I'm not going to do these required visitations. You know, I had said, I, I, I need space and I will call you basically, but I, I, 
I had to cut things off. It was becoming too painful. And he wasn't in my life. He hasn't been in my life at all. And I, I had heard in like maybe the early mid 2000s, he did move back to Ireland. And I was, I was okay. I was like moving on. Right. I had these fantasies of, well, maybe he moved back and who knows, maybe he had more kids. Mm. Maybe he, maybe there are, you know, I don't know, like maybe there's little kids out there (laughs) I'm related to. I never thought I could have a sibling older than me though. Right. Because this means that he already had this child when he came back to your mom. How much older than you is he? Four years. I think it happened pretty soon after he went back to Ireland and he was just doing his thing. And Mm -hmm. um, this woman, young woman got pregnant with him, my half brother now. And he, he said that um, his mom had tried to say like, look, this is your child. I know this is your child, but for whatever reason, my, my dad was saying um, like he, he was, he didn't want anything to do with it for whatever reason. I, I don't know what that was about. Maybe he didn't believe it, or maybe he just was like, this is not uh, anything I want to be a part of right now. I mean, I, I have no idea why. And apparently he had told one brother, my dad, again, this is just like the type of Irish he was. He was the oldest of, t- he's the oldest of 10 children. And I think he told one brother and nobody else knew. And so him describing my, my two aunts who were very kind to me when I was little and very nice and loving when they found out they were like very distraught to know they'd been living in Dublin for 40 plus years and never knew of a nephew and were shocked that my dad wouldn't be like proud of that to have a son you know like I think they also had this whole other image of who my dad was and so he avoided it you know so I'm reading this I'm reading this Facebook Facebook message and I am I guess what you would describe as a gasper. Like I, <laughs> you know, so I like smack my husband. It's <laughs> like laying next to me. Um, and he's like, you know, always been so accepting of my family and the crazy ins and outs of it and how we went from being like very closeted to very open and, by the time I met my husband on our first date, telling people I had a gay mom was like first date conversation, okay. you know, and it was also a good way to like that. And sure. so when we met in 2006, <laughs> you know, that was still a time where it's like, how do you feel about this? And um, his response was nothing, you know, like he, he just kind of said, okay. And I was like, yeah, so I just want you to like know that. And he's like, that's fine. You have a gay mom. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And that was a response I'd always wanted Mm -hmm. was no response, you know, because I dated other guys who would be like, whoa, I got a, I wasn't expecting that. Or, oh my God, that's so cool. You know, like really excited. And I just wanted, we just kind of long for the day for it not to be a thing. It's (laughs) a non-issue. It's the same. Right. It's just, I'm telling you about my family here. We're getting to know each other. Um. So he has always been very supportive of my whole process and my advocacy work and very accepting. And so, you know, I kind of like, I smack him. We're like getting ready for, to go on a trip. He's laying next to me and I'm like, somebody is on Facebook telling me right now that they are basically my brother, that we share a dad, that my dad has a kid. Like, I'm just kind of crazy. I'm like, this is ridiculous, right? Like, you know, in my head, I'm like, this is either like some sort of, they've got to have this wrong or cause I was like, he says he's like 43 or 42. Like none of this is making sense, you know? At, and, and then he was like, what? Like my, I, he was in this place of like, show this to me. What is this? And I couldn't believe it because I, I was like, I literally talk about these things. This is now happening to me. So I was freaking out. He was like, listen, Dory, he, he tried to just ground me, my husband. He, he just said, maybe if this is true, maybe it doesn't have to be the worst thing in the world. You know, because I got into, a, I was in a more panicked state. And I think associating anything with my dad mm. was already so negative that I couldn't believe that this was someone really not wanting to 
do harm or get something from me or I don't know, right? Like I was so freaked out. So what were you worried about in that first contact? Were you worried that he might want something from you? Well, I think I was worried that it was true. And I was also worried at the same time, if someone's telling me this, what if it's also not true? What if I get it into my head that I may have this other connection? But I think what worried me the most of anything was like, now I'm kind of circling back to this part of myself that I really haven't identified with at all for so many years that has just negative associations. Um, and I, I think, you know, maybe there was this like, and, and a lot of other kids that are of divorce or kids of the LGBTQ community, we feel this need to be the, like the, like the poster child in a way of like, look, we're the success stories. Like I am in this very stable family now and I'm doing okay. And look at the work I do. Right. And I couldn't, I, I didn't want to feel like I was now in this whole other struggle, it wasn't supposed to happen this way, <laughs> right? Like it was right, like, this yeah. wasn't supposed to happen to me. I'm not supposed to be shocked by anything else right now. Like I've been through enough. I've done the work. I, I do the work, you know? And I think I just worried if it's true, it, it changes everything. If he's telling me this and it's not true, maybe there's also a grief and loss to that as well. Because if it's true, and, it, and maybe it is a good thing, maybe I am supposed to remember this whole other identity of mine. Like I was essentially raised as a Jewish kid. I had a bat mitzvah and I have this incredibly, like the most Irish last name ever. Right. And so I always yeah. joke, like I'm the first to have a bat mitzvah. It's gotta be me, <laughs> you know, like I... But I was like, but I'm Jewish. I come from my mom and I'm Jewish. And my dad was Irish, but we don't talk about that part, right? And so, and I don't look like my Jewish side. I, mm-hmm. I don't look like stereotypical Ashkenazi Jewish. I look, I look like my Irish relatives, but I had written them off because they're toxic. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, mm-hmm. I want to prove that, you know, the alcoholism, right? Like that skipped me too, right? Like that was another fear, you know, like, your dad has the gene, you might have the gene as if that's the only gene I got from him, right? <laughs> was that one. Um, right. So I think I had been in this very black and white world for so long of like either all good or all bad, or I'm all this and, or and I'm not that, that him popping in just to say, I felt you needed to know this, right? Or like life is short and we're in a pandemic and why now you've known this for two years, but now you feel the need, right? Because we all were like, anything can happen. It was just a lot swimming around at once. And I was so overwhelmed. So what did you decide to do next? Did you respond? (laughs) Did you wait? How long before you got back to it? I waited a day and we still drove up to Ithaca and we stopped at a rest stop. And my husband brought the girls into the bathroom and that's when I decided to write back (laughs) because I was like, I'm going to take my time. But taking my time, I guess, was like less than 24 hours because I, I think I just wrote back and, and said, look, I, I'm not really sure where to start. I, I think I always thought this could be a possibility, but I don't know. Um, Can you send me a picture? I want to know you're a real person. I want to make sure I'm not being scammed. First, I wanted to be rational about it. And I said, you know, I'm interested in the whole timing of things. I'm younger than you. My parents did split up, but it's like, that wasn't even the thing. Like whether there was cheating or anything, that wasn't even it. It was just the fact that my dad knew this always. Right. And whatever, for whatever reason, he never told me or my mom. He didn't really tell anybody. And so he wrote back like enthusiastically right after. And meanwhile, he's writing through his wife's account because it's like, this is it. Like then we were like, okay, fine. Show me pictures. It, he sent me pictures of himself and, um, and I saw it right away. I saw it in his eyes right away that he was related to me and my dad. And I was like, maybe, I don't know, maybe he's a cousin. Maybe it's the wrong like there's a lot of kids, you know, I don't, maybe like I I went to that place first. And, and so I kind of did what I would do if I was counseling a patient who had gotten information like this. And I said, okay, thank you for sharing pictures. Do you think we look alike? Like, I don't know. And he just wrote back. He's like, I'm so glad you wrote back. 
Um, you know, I, I, again, I'm not trying to scare you. He was so considerate. He was so kind. He's like, I'm not even looking for anything. I just wanted to share this information and maybe we can get to know each other. I know that might take time, but, but yeah, take whatever time you need. And, and so he was very like open and receptive. And, and, and so I decided to approach it with, okay, stay rational. What would you do if you were counseling someone? And I said, I'm going to talk to a genetic counselor and try to figure out how we can confirm this while it's a pandemic, while you live in Dublin and I live in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I will get back to you because I think when I saw his appearance and I just, I saw glimpses of my dad and it brought up so many mixed emotions of how I remember him in that happy, healthy way. And and just, you know, like my dad's deteriorated. He's, he actually, my, my now half brother had confirmed to me so he, that, that he is in assisted living, that, you know, the alcoholism and I think just other aging and, and brain deficits took a huge toll. And so he's, he's in assisted living and he doesn't really have good short-term memory. And he told me, he, he's like, I have photos of me with him as well if you want to see that. And I said, no, I'm not ready to mm, see that mm -hmm. just yet. He said, you know, you should know that, um, you know, I, my mom tracked him down and we went to visit with, you know, one of the aunts and he, he didn't really, he did recognize his mom, but okay, because of like his long-term memory is there. Mm -hmm. But when my half brother would interact with him, he said like his speech was poor. He, um, couldn't really grasp who he was to him. Um, but that he kept saying to him, I'm, I'm sorry for everything or like I've, I've, I didn't mean any harm. And so the way he could have taken that versus the way now I'm taking that information. And what does that even mean? It's like, that could be interpreted in so many ways. Like, is it, a, is it amends or is it just someone who's so ill and it's, it's proving we're never going to really know why, like why he didn't tell us. But I think what I struggle with is that even if he knew there's a possibility that there was this other child out there, all he had to do was tell us, you know, my mom didn't have to do anything. It didn't sound like my half brother's family needed him to do anything. Right. It's right. all he had to do was tell us. And that could have literally changed everything for me because I grew up wanting a sibling so bad, idealizing large families. My best friend who I've known since kindergarten was one of three intact family. I was the kid that was always tagging along with them on their like outings and family trips. And I would sometimes in my head be like, I could pass for this family. Um, oh, you know, just yeah. what it means to be normal <laughs> mm -hmm. when I was struggling so hard being an only child and bearing the weight of the secret and wishing I just had one other person that like knew what it was like to have a gay mom in a time that was so homophobic and a child of divorce in a time where we didn't really talk about that as much you know right like we're only talking about like 30 years ago but it was so right. different it was so different yeah. and I people don't kids today <laughs> don't understand right. the pain <laughs> exactly. um and so I decided before we go any further I mean he he's I, I, it's it's he's confirmed enough information for me to be like okay I can believe this but I said before we go any further I, I want to confirm it so I I made an appointment like via telehealth with this New Jersey genetic counselor in a private practice. And, um, you know, I explained to her what was going on, how this just happened. And, and she said, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I would recommend, you know, you just do a home testing kit. Um, and I said, okay, which one, what's the best one to confirm you have a half brother in Ireland, <laughs> right? Like, <Yeah. laughs> because I don't want to do any more searching or like, you need to just tell me. And so she said, do, um, 23 and me, because it's a smaller database. If you're just looking to confirm like relatives um, and a specific relative at that, it, it will filter out some of like more fluff of people that are like 0.000 related. She's like, you sound really overwhelmed by this. So let's not, 
whatever just she said do do that one and you have to like click on the relative finder and all of that and she said it would be like anywhere between like a 23 point something percent to a 25 percent confirmation for a half sibling to the point where they would name him your half sibling if that's the case and I said, okay. And it goes international. And she said, yes. And I said, great. She's like, it's everywhere now. I said, I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just making sure. Yeah. And, and so I, I told him, I said, before we go any further, let's, um, let's do a home testing kit. I, I think this will help. I think it'll help if we're going to establish some kind of connection here. I, I need to know for sure, like, can't dispute it, that we are, in fact, siblings. And, um, and he said, okay, that's a great idea. Sure. Tell me what you're buying and I'll buy the same thing. And so we exchanged emails at that point. I went online. I said, this is the one $99, whatever. And he did it. And he actually, I think, sent me proof that he bought it. Um, this is like a really nice person. Again, skeptical because, I couldn't associate anything nice like with my father's side, which is sad. But so in that time, we kept each other posted about our testing. And, um, you know, I said, okay, I got my kit. I'm sending it off. He said, okay, mine's in like the Netherlands right now. I'm waiting, blah, blah. Like we just stayed in touch uh, by email. And, and through those emails, we would add some more information about ourselves and our families. And I told him what I did and he was like, wow, this is quite ironic. And I, I knew that this was going to open up something, you know, like the whole Irish identity. You know, I never wanted to change my last name. I always felt like that's not a feminist thing to do. And it's still my name. Um, so even though on paper, people assume I'm this like Irish person, which I am, you know, but I wasn't identifying really with that piece of me. I kept my name and I know that there's pieces of me that holds on to that side that doesn't fully let go, even if I don't affiliate or, or talk about it as much, you know, like people would talk about Irish culture and I'd be like, oh, I'm half Irish. You know, I still would just have this automatic response or I would see you know, pictures of Ireland, everyone would be like, you got to go, you haven't gone. Like I never went. My dad never took me. I don't know. He, he would go on trips there, but I'm sure it was just so he could do whatever he wanted. You know, I, I, and, and I don't think my mom ever would have trusted him to take me anywhere alone, especially another country where like, maybe I wouldn't be able to come back because I could easily get citizenship. You know, she had those fears. So I think she also was afraid to engage a lot with the family, um, even after they were divorced. So yeah, so as we were waiting for the results, which took longer than I wanted, um, you know, we would add tidbits. We both loved to travel. We both were big, big animal fans and we were starting to find like things in common, which was nice. And he continued to sound really normal. <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, okay, well, maybe there's a good side to this whole Irish thing. And, and then the results came and it comes up in, in the app, you know, and, uh, and it was confirmed, like, no doubt, not even a possibility of anything other than a, we are naming him as your half brother. How did you feel when you saw those results? I, that was when I think the grief came in, you know, grief for a life I could have known and for myself and a whole identity a whole side of me. I was glad because I, I liked the guy. I was like, he's turning into a good person. Maybe this, you know, I'm all about redefining family and, you know, who says you can't just form these relationships later in life. But, but that's when the, the grieving came in. That's when the whole, okay, I'm not a counselor anymore. I'm not rational anymore. This is now a process. And, um, and it's, it's, it's been a very non-linear journey since that summer of 2020. And some days where, you know, I just, I grieve that loss of my like younger self and the what could have been and just so much. And um, I went through a whole process of telling my mother 
And I remember like, that was so hard for me because I think I was worried that she was going to take this and make it about her or like, I don't know, have anger toward my dad. And I, I knew something like this, you know, I, I just thought she would take it to that place, but she actually was like, you know what, this makes a lot of sense in some ways, right? Like I know we talk a lot in psychotherapy and, and now in this community about the unthought known and how it's like, you always know something's up. Like I knew that with her and her sexuality, but I didn't have the language and no one was talking to me about it. And maybe for her, she always thought he could have done whatever. <laughs> Had like some whole other bit, you know, like she said, I, I'm not surprised. This timing makes a ton of sense to me. Kind of like my husband, she was like, maybe this is okay, right? Like everyone else was like, this is wonderful. This is exciting. I still, to this day, am kind of in this place that this is going to take a while. Like I am rebuilding trust in this aspect of my life, right? Of, of Like this is a big aspect of my life. You know, I am a Jewish person and I am an Irish person. And being an Irish person is so much more than the, um, the sadness and the, and the, the struggles I uh, associated with, you know, just from my own personal experience with it. Cause everyone else was in Ireland. I didn't have those other people to give me a good example. Yeah. Have you taken any steps to kind of reconnect with that part of yourself? So, you know, it's funny. So uh, my now half brother and I have just stayed in touch regularly. We've actually zoomed a couple of times and I think he, and this is like the Irish people with culture, you know, they're like so proud of themselves and they uh, love like sending me things from Ireland. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember that from when I was a little kid, like there's pictures of me with like these like sweaters and matching hats, like from sheep's wool. And it's just so Irish looking. And he would, so he sent me um, a whole bunch of like Irish food and treats and, and, for my birthday this year, he sent me two really beautiful like coffee table books about Dublin then and now and Ireland from an aerial view. And, you know, I think he is just happy to help me get in touch with that a little bit more. I have yet to reconnect with like any other relatives. He, he formed a relationship with one of my aunts and, um, and they stay in touch, but I I think he's really been good at like following my lead and just being like, let me know when you want me to tell her, you know, cause she was the one that told him uh, about me. But what's, what's different is the biggest difference is like he had years to process the fact that there was this person out there that was probably his half sister and he took a while. It took him a while to like actually contact me. He knew exactly how to find me and contact me. So he was already ahead of me in terms of like, let's maybe jump in and maybe we can form a relationship. I was, I'm still not a hundred percent, you know, I'm still like testing and, and building trust and realizing this doesn't have to be so black and white, I guess. Yeah. When you think about the future, what do you hope for? Do you want to meet him? Like I do. Yeah. No, we, we, we have talked about that and, and he would love to, I think, come to the United States and come to New York and other various cities. I think he's only been to the U S once and it was like Michigan by way of Canada or something. So it wasn't like a real, you know, let's explore yeah. the U S thing. And I, I do hope that I can find some peace with the fact that this is what happened enough to feel like I'm buying those plane tickets one day and we're going to do this. And I know that it would be just a whole, a whole new world of what you lose, but what you gain, right? Yeah. I'm really yeah. struck by how similar your experience is to NPEs. And DCPs yeah. in terms of both the shock and what you were saying about the grief for a life lost or a path lost, so to speak. What are some things that you're doing to come to terms with that? I mean, I think I'm just letting myself feel these feelings, first of all. I'm not 
pushing them away or in denial and I'm talking about them, right? Like I'm not going into like a whole shameful secrecy place. Um, I, I sometimes wonder if the pandemic in a way pushed me to explore this more quickly. Um, I, I, I do recognize like we have no control <laughs> in a world and like not just the pandemic, but like, I, I thought I had my life kind of like, I knew what to expect. Right. And then suddenly this happened. Um, but I can control how I'm going to react to it. And so I, I had, you know, good days and bad days in, in like the first year. And now I think I just continue to, you know, feel it all. Um, I think what's interesting though, when you say I have these similarities to the NPE or the MPE or like, you know, the DCP, like all these communities who I, I support so much. And um, I find, like you said, the commonalities, I, I feel that connection. And I was really happy when a member of the MPE group invited me in because I didn't know if I was one and, you know, like I, I don't have the, um, you know, the uh, non-parental event. I have a parental event. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have a parental event, not a non-parental event. So like that didn't change for me, but it still changed everything in my family and my identity and a secret, right? And, and something that was my right to know. This was my right to know, but I don't know what to call myself. Yeah. What's the language, right? Because I've learned like, okay, I have words for, you know, the kids of the LGBTQ community. I have words for like, you know, working in adoption and fertility, you know, and it's like when you have a word to describe yourself, you exist. But what's mm -hmm. the word for the person who's been found and it's a half sibling kind of event and the parents aren't involved in it whatsoever? I that I'm curious to know maybe I have to coin something <laughs> I know I haven't heard any terminology for this kind of experience but it really is so similar so I always ask everyone at the end of every episode what kind yeah. of advice would you offer a parent who is keeping this kind of information from their child well we can't get a time machine um <laughs> And I think it's just important to note that it's not just like this personal decision. I mean, it is a personal decision if you choose not to disclose, right? But I also think there are so many systems at play in the world of infertility, in the world of reproductive medicine, in, in just the, this still world of what it means, of family forming, right? And how we're kind of still taught like, well, maybe if you pass, you don't have to talk about it. Or if infertility itself or reproductive medicine and the need of donor gametes is, is there, right? Like it's so rooted in shame. It's still so rooted in shame. And so I do have compassion for those that didn't disclose and I get it. And I think we're doing better now undoing some of that shame with this next generation of intended parents who are coming in and being like, okay, yeah, I guess everything's got to be out there. Right. So how do we do that the right way? I just want to note that for other people that I know are angry, that I know are resentful, that I know are hurting and that I know have every right to know their information. I am so for that. You know, we can't undo it, you know, cause I think they were advised. Maybe you'll never need to know. Maybe it's better. Your child doesn't know you know, and parents held on to that because I think that was their own internalized shame built on just these systems as well. So I have compassion, but what advice? Oh gosh, no family secrets. And you have your story that you're going to feel a certain way about, but your child is going to have their own story and their own journey. And they are the narrators of that story. And the more information that you can share with them over time, the better um, for everybody. Because I think keeping secrets as parents, that's not good for you guys either. You know, that hurts. Secrets make you sick. That's what I feel. That's where I would start. You know, I, when people come to me, I'm, I, I'm pretty clear about the importance of disclosure and that this is an ongoing journey. And 
I think parenting in and of itself is an ongoing journey, right? You never know how to do it perfectly. We're, we're all human beings and you're always allowed to do over. Maybe you talked about it and then you were like, what did I just tell my child? You can go back to your child and <laughs> yeah. say, hey, I've thought about it. And what I meant to say was yeah, exactly. this and how that make you feel, right? Like mo- that's modeling good behavior. Yeah. That's excellent advice. Thank you. So I haven't had a chance to ask this question before because I've never talked to anyone on this side. Being found. <laughs> the found, found sibling. Yes. But what advice Wild. would you offer? And I know that you're still in the midst of it, but what advice would you offer to someone yeah. who has just been contacted by a new found sibling? I would say... Um, to keep an open mind and to give it a chance. And only because I I think it's easy to default to the, oh my God, but what if this is bad? Instead of the, but what if this is good? (laughs) You know, what if this is an opportunity? And you can always disengage. But I think it's harder to live in in the what ifs. You know, this is just, this is happening so much. It's, it's just my hope that with our stories being told, the systems change as well. So I, I do appreciate the very brave people becoming vulnerable uh, alongside me, you know, with all these different stories to just create the awareness and um, remind those with, with power. <laughs> this is how we've been impacted. Well, Dory, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and being vulnerable. It was so nice to hear from someone who is on the other side of a DNA surprise. And I also really appreciate you offering some advice based on your work experience. So best of luck on your journey. I hope that you continue to build a relationship with your brother. And thanks again. Ah, Thank you. And to you too, Alexis. I'm so grateful that you're doing this. Thanks again to Dory for sharing her story. If you have a DNA surprise that you'd like to share, please email dnasurprises at gmail.com. And if you haven't yet, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Until next time.